So if you say stagnant, or if you get a little bit worse every day, it's compounding negative impact. But if you get just 1% every day, it very quickly becomes an up and to the right. And we as a team talk about this a lot. Like what is one small thing that we can do to just improve over yesterday? Hi, everybody. This is Allison Ramsey, the host of the Empire Life podcast. And today we are with Jen Pelka. Did I say that correct? And yep. I am the founder of Empire Life also. And we mentor female founders in scaling their online empires from all around the world. And on the podcast, we interview them about their success and how they got to where they are now from A to Z and all of the above. And strategies and tips that you can immediately implement into your business and your life. And Jen Pelka is the CEO and co-founder of Own Femme Wines. And I'll hand it over to her to introduce herself a little bit more. Yeah. Hi. Thank you so much for having me on today. It's great to be here. Um, yeah. So I'm the co-founder of Own Femme, as you mentioned, and we specialize in champagne and sparkling wines made by all female winemakers. I started the company in um, in 2020, right before the pandemic, actually, when I had, it was January of 2020, and I had two champagne bars, both called the Riddler, one in San Francisco and one in New York, and all of our investors in both of those locations were women, and we found that we had so many guests who would come to the restaurants and the bars and would drink amazing female-made wines and would ask for wines made by women winemakers. And I realized that there was a big opportunity to create a brand that was all about supporting women and giving back to charities that benefit women and that were really female in sensibility. And so now, um, three years later, we've um, grown to be a, a national brand. I actually ended up closing both locations of the Riddler, but now this is my full-time focus with my brother as my co-founder. And yeah, we focus entirely on women made and um, wines that have the opportunity to give back to charities that can improve the lives of women. Our businesses focus are so aligned. I can't even begin to describe how aligned it is and everything that you're doing to support female founders or female you know, wine makers and and then your brother, how did he get involved in the mix? I'm just curious. <laughs> yeah. So Zach, my brother was our CFO of the restaurants at the Riddler. Wow. <clears throat> He's formerly a business guy. So he went to Wharton and started and sold a few companies and he has always been on the business side. And when I was thinking about what we might want to do next with the wine brand, he was the natural person I thought of to be my co-founder. And so he leads everything kind of behind the scenes. So operations, logistics, supply chain for all the glass and all the packaging, which is actually one of the most complex parts of the wine business, um, shipping, legal compliance, um, and also oversees the like sort of logistical sides of the winemaking with our winemakers. And then I lead on most things on sales, marketing, and our relationships with our female winemakers and sort of determining what our style of winemaking is going to be. So I'm a little bit more of the art. He's a little bit more of the science. And it's been amazing to work um, with somebody who I trust and love so much as my co-founder. I mean, I definitely couldn't do it without him. He couldn't 
do it without me. Uh, we're truly, truly, truly partners in this and we're very lucky. Yeah, you guys are completely lucky. I mean, I've, I've heard a lot of stories about co-founders and I've had a co-founder. This is my third company and I had a co-founder in my second one. And there's pros and cons, as you, I'm sure you know, of being maybe more of the founder of the Riddler and probably of previous businesses. And that's amazing how it almost sounds as if you guys are yin and yang in a lot of your responsibilities and the we strengths. Are. We are, absolutely. He's actually a very creative guy too, but his business acumen is really incredible. And I, you know, we learn from each other every day, every single day. And we're always pushing ourselves to go a bit further with the company, with the business. And when, when we, when either of us is having a hard day, then we help the other one out. That I think is the biggest benefit of having a co-founder is having somebody who, you know, you can rely on to be, um, you know, a sounding board and somebody who might be having a great day when you're having a rough one and vice versa. That's a great point. Yeah. I hadn't really thought fully about that. Yeah. And that it's... it reminds me even in a marriage or <laughs> the, mm-hmm. which you kind of are married related. To your yeah. Family. Oh yeah. Like in a marriage, I feel like that's important too. When one person's freaking out, the other one has to stay calm. <laughs> Absolutely. Sim- similarly. <laughs> so important. So important. <laughs> Yeah. And that leads me to the first question, which perhaps it's related to labeling and the bottling. I've looked in, well, uh, probably in the future, we're going to have some kind of alcoholic um, business related with Empire Life. And I've looked into the bottling and the legalities, the certifications, all the regulations that have to be followed. And I, you know, just scraping the surface, I'm, I'm sure, like the tip of the iceberg, I saw that okay, that's something I want to do in the future. <laughs> Just a lot of licenses that I may need to have and regulations to follow. So perhaps that leads into the first question of some of the challenges that you've overcome and how you overcame these. And what did you feel like was the benefit at the light at the end of the tunnel when you overcame them? Yeah, definitely on the I, on the notion of launching and running a large scale national or frankly international wine or spirits brand, the compliance piece is a headache for every single brand owner. Every single state in the U.S. is regulated in a different way, and you have to get licenses in different ways, and um, you have to maintain them. You have to pay your taxes individually in every single state. Um, there are different rules for shipping uh, wine and spirits across different state lines. And then even within those states, there are sometimes differences from municipality to municipality. So that's like one concrete challenge to the wine business. I would say a second concrete challenge in the wine business is really around supply chain. We launched precisely when the aluminum shortage happened and we're a canned wine business for a large portion of our business because we partner with Delta Airlines and do a sparkling wine in cans for them. And as you can imagine, um, that's a massive number of cans where the sparkling wine on board every Delta plane in the world. Um, so it's a lot of aluminum that we need and a huge portion of aluminum comes from um, Russia or the Ukraine. And um, it's really dramatically limited supply. <clears throat> and you might also remember a couple of years ago when all of those ships were getting stuck in the Panama Canal, um, there was like a worldwide a supply chain challenge. So uh, I certainly never got into this business thinking that we would be 
spending a lot of our time or energy or resources on compliance or bottles or cans, um, but it's just a reality to the business. For those kinds of challenges, which are really outside of my area of interest or um, area of strength, we just made the decision to hire people who are really good at those components. And I think I, like you, I'm a multiple time entrepreneur. This is my third company as well. And I try to get better and better with each company at only managing the pieces that I really love and that I uniquely can do for the business. And I try to delegate as much as possible. And I try to empower other team members to be able to handle their portions of the business and just give them a tremendous amount of trust. Um, I think this is a hard thing for many entrepreneurs because we ourselves um, are so interested in the details of our own business and also often come to entrepreneurship from the position of being um, a really successful individual contributor on someone else's team or somebody who's just a doer. Like most entrepreneurs I know love to get shit done. And um, sometimes it can be challenging to give away that control to others. But I would say this is something I've gotten a bit better at over time. And um, I'm still working on every day. It's a good example of where a co-founder is very helpful because my brother is always reminding me to get better and better at this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I guess the way that I that I over, overcome those components is just by continuously focusing on it and giving myself grace and latitude when I make a mistake and similarly grace and latitude when our team members make mistakes. Uh, you know, there's a great book that I would recommend to everyone, probably everybody's listened to it or read it already, but um, it's called Atomic Habits by James Clear. It's an incredible book about um, all of the things that you can do to set yourself up for success every single day. And just really the notion that every habit you have is a vote for the person you will become in the future. And so you can change who you are uh, every single day. Um, but he has this notion of 1% better every day. So if you say stagnant, or if you get a little bit worse every day, it's compounding negative impact. But if you get just 1% every day, it very quickly becomes an up and to the right. And we as a team talk about this a lot. Like what is one small thing that we can do to just improve over yesterday? So it's a big, I love a big that area. question. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great area of focus. And I, in September 2022, I broke my leg and I was bedridden for a few months. And I'm super active normally. And I'm used to my body, and I'm drawing parallels to what you just said. I'm used to my body performing and getting up and working out or lifting weights and being extremely active. And I've been having to have that philosophy. Uh, if I can walk, a little further every day if I can do some kind of body weight exercises a little more every day and kind of challenge myself just a little bit even if it's a few feet further or eventually it's going to be more than that and more than that and it really does work I've been seeing those improvements and I went on a three mile walk yesterday for the first time oh congrats that's amazing yeah that's it was amazing huge. it that's was amazing. huge that is huge. Yeah. And you, you realize also when you get to the point of doing that three mile walk, if you look back 
a month ago, two months ago, three months ago, it wouldn't have even be conceivable to be able to do it. And yes. in three months from now, you'll be in a totally different place, but you've got to take those steps every single day to get a bit closer to what your goal is. For sure. Did you want to go over any other challenges that come up for you or you feel completely sure. I would say, um, I've definitely become a pretty resilient person because I've had quite a few challenges in our business, in my life, all of, all of those kinds of components. Um, I would say on the business side, the most significant challenge I faced was during COVID when we had to make the very hard decision to close the Riddler. And I had a lot of incredible investors who had put their faith in me as an entrepreneur. I had team members who were employees of ours who were relying on us um, as employees. And we had so many guests who just loved the restaurants mm. and who wanted to see the Riddler survive and succeed. But when we looked at the numbers, it was just not possible for us to move forward. And we were afraid that we were going to dig ourselves deeper and deeper into a hole and put ourselves into a more complicated position with our landlord and with other debts and things like that. And so we had to make the decision to close. And that was something that I struggled with kind of emotionally as a founder for several years. It's still something I think about a lot. I think I've moved through most of the, the guilt and the frustration around it, but I wish that it was something that hadn't happened. Um, but I also learned a lot through it. And so the key takeaways I think I had from that was number one, I personally lost a lot financially in that scenario. And so I've realized as a founder, it's really important to pay myself and to invest in myself. And I think some of that's financial and some of it also is like just carving out time for myself, time for my family. You know, you only live once. It's like we had a short ride here, so we've got to make sure we really enjoy it. And um, losing something, I think, puts into perspective everything that was really important to you. So I think I learned that it's survivable to fail and you gain a lot of experience and perspective from it. And I've crafted the structure of our business, the relationship with our investors, the relationship with our team in a different way because of the experience of having closed a business. And I've really learned that you can have long-term success and happiness, even if you have temporary or what feels like very significant failures along the way. Like the only people who really make significant impact are the ones who just keep going. So that's what I always remind myself. Yeah, I feel very similarly as I I will compare it to when I closed my second business, it felt unfinished with the potential. Um, I'm feeling intuitively you possibly felt similarly, where like I saw this potential. I had these expectations of where this business could go or was going to go. And it didn't really reach its full potential before I needed to close it. And it had so much, there was so much there and I put so much blood, sweat and tears into it. And it was a, like a mourning, almost like a death. Oh right? yeah, it, it absolutely is. It is. Mm. And you go through the stages of grief and I'm not sure I've fully moved through it. So it's, yes. they're, they're really hard, especially you put so much of your heart and soul into building these companies. 
And the thing that's a little bit different about it from like a grief perspective is there's also a lot of embarrassment and shame. Mm-hmm. Whereas if someone passes away and it was, you know, of natural causes and no fault of anybody specifically, there's not like, you don't feel like it's your fault, you know? Um, whereas with a business, you always feel like, oh, could I have done something more? Should I have done something more? But in reality, it probably closed for the right reasons. That's why it closed. Yes. And you have something incredible right now. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, I'm it's so, so, so grateful. Yeah. It's yeah. like limitless possibilities. You're in Delta, oh. you're getting new partnerships. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's like there's totally. no glass ceiling for you. And That's I great. do think brick and mortar, while it can be really great, I think there's a little bit more of a, a glass ceiling or a little bit, it's different. But I, I really, the way I structured Empire Life, uh, similarly to what you were saying, was everybody can work remote. And so then that opens up that we can have workers or employees and contractors from all around the world, our different states, and our clients can be from all around the world. And that offered me a lot more flexibility. For example, I, I have a 16 year old right now when we're recording this uh, at when I started Empire Life, she was seven. So like for her to, I see her as soon as she gets home and those kind of moments are priceless. When I used to get home around seven or eight from being a high end contributor to another business and I had my business part-time, my second one, or kind of full-time, but part-time, but I took kind of technically two full-times. I had a full-time job as a software developer and full-time in my business when off hours and talking to her at seven or eight is completely different than when she first gets home and it's like fresh and my friend did this and I did this at school. And those are moments that I cherish even now when I pick her up from school and she's in high school, we still get to have really in-depth conversations because I'm more present with her. I'm not at the point of, I could just fall asleep and it's 8 p.m. Right, right, (laughs) definitely, definitely, definitely. I want to move on to the next one. If you feel like entrepreneurs, a little bit lighter topic, if you feel like entrepreneurs need a morning routine or night routine or what you your general perspective about that. I heard from somebody once, if you think you don't have a morning routine, you're wrong. Uh, You do. (laughs) It's just, it's probably not particularly intentional. And you're probably doing the same exact things every morning. It's just like not contributing to your overall intentions. So yes, I think everybody needs um, to focus on things that really set themselves up for a day of great success. I, um, have tried to get better and better about not immediately looking at my phone and instead reading books. So I, I quit social media a year and a half ago for a full year and it was an incredible experience. It was very positive for me. And instead I started reading books. Um, and so I gave myself the goal of reading 52 books in a year and I did it and it was awesome. And oh my really, gosh. That's so great. Yeah, it was awesome. It was amazing. I mean, a book a week is not that hard if you, if you're used to spending an hour to an hour and a half scrolling Instagram and Twitter and TikTok and uh, we we all are, you know. So an hour and a half of reading a day is you can make a huge, huge impact on your reading habit. So that's been a huge improvement for me. 
we recently moved up to Sonoma. And so I've made a point to, when I wake up in the morning, not to look at my phone and read in bed, but instead um, to get up, to make my coffee and then to go outside. We have a little garden in our backyard. So I sit in the garden and I read a book and look at the sun and get some vitamin D and we have a lot of wildlife. So look at all of our you know, just watch the birds and the bees and ducks and, you know, all the, all the animals that just sort of fly in and out. Um, and for me, that gives me a lot of perspective about who I am and how I fit in the world, you know? Uh, but I also really just enjoy that reading moment early in the morning because I tend to read books that are either really fun or really inspirational. And it's just such a mental break. Um, I'm on my computer all day long. And so I, I really try to, to separate a little bit there. Um, and then in terms of my evening routine, I would say both my husband and I, when we're done with work, we really put our phones and our computers away. We try to make dinner almost every night and sit down and like properly set the table and catch up on our day um, and open a nice bottle of wine and just connect. And I think as entrepreneurs, we sometimes forget that we're, you know, our life is the most important part of our life. <laughs> and I really try to carve out as much time as I possibly can for those things. I love all of the, what you just said. I'm curious when you sit down for the dinner, do you have a, some kind of structure of things that you can't talk about? No, we do. We talk a lot about work, um, okay. but we, neither of us ever like does work at night. Um, for me, if I have a deadline driven thing that I haven't finished that's due the next day, I just wake up really early. I'll wake up at like five in the morning to finish it. I tend to have more energy in the morning for work. Um, but when it comes to dinner, no, we just, I mean, we literally start with like, how was your day? What'd you get up to? How's your team? And um, yeah, we just catch up on those components. So no, no topics are off limit for us. That's great. Yeah. It, and for, for, my fiance or I neither. And I, I think that when we find ourselves uh, talking too much about our one topic is consuming, we're like, okay, let's, let's kind of switch it up, switch it up a little bit here. Yeah. Oh yeah. We try to do that too. <laughs> but sometimes, I mean, my husband is like my greatest problem solver and my, you know, true partner and, um, and somebody who knows so much about me and, all of the things that I'm working through at work. And so it's incredibly helpful to me to, we say this all the time, like how lucky are we that we're both entrepreneurs and we both can understand each other's challenges and struggles and help each other out. And we keep our businesses completely separate. I don't do anything with his business. He doesn't do anything with mine, but we definitely um, know each other's teams really well and um, have a lot of admiration for each other's work but can sort of serve as a neutral sounding board when we're dealing with challenges. And that's great that you feel the the desire to express that to him. So I'm sure that leads to a lot more connection between you two that you want to hear his feedback because of oh, this yeah. mutual, the mutual respect and admiration. It's so great. Definitely. Yeah, we're very lucky. I, I want to move on to the next one about what do you do when you feel like resistance is coming up for you? And and maybe that's something that you and your husband both, I know my fiance, I love bouncing ideas off of him too. And just it's so much in my head that 
I literally have ideas every day or multiple ideas. I'm like, how would, how can this come to fruition? I have to do this for my clients. I have to add this new feature. I have to get on the, this kind of app and it's continuous. And I love being able to talk out loud to him about it. And that, I think that helps me move through some of the resistance. I was wondering, maybe it's similar. Are there certain practices that you have? Yeah, I would say I have two practices. One is if I feel like I am not being particularly efficient or effective, or I'm not solving a problem I want to, or I'm just kind of wandering around my inbox and not accomplishing big things, I literally just take a break. Sometimes it can be, I go for a walk or I cook something or I do a little bit of gardening. And sometimes it's like, I take the afternoon off and I just like fully take a break. Um, and then I just get back to it the next day. I find that for me, it's not particularly helpful to just like keep beating my head up against a wall. If I'm trying to solve something or trying to get a project done, um, it's better for me to just like take a break and then come back fresh. And the second thing I would say is I try to step back each morning and look at my schedule, eliminate things from my schedule that I don't truly need to work on. And then try to focus on one or two really big things that I can do for the business to accomplish each day. So if I can accomplish one significant thing every single day, that's important for the team, or that's um, like really impactful to the bottom line, then that's how I find that like the big boulders get moved. It's very, very easy for me to get stuck just answering emails and not doing anything proactive. But the way that I guard myself against that is by truly like stepping back and thinking, okay, like what's, what's the thing that I can do today that would be unique to what I can bring to the company and what can move us forward in a big way. And do you have somebody on your team that you can kind of hand those emails to and say, maybe follow up with this person or say this to this person? <laughs> <laughs> I, I've had many um, executive assistants over time uh, and they help me to manage, not like many at once, but um, I've had different people I've worked with as EAs. Almost all of them have moved on to do like really big things within our companies. And it's been amazing to see people grow in those roles. Um, but yeah, I mean, I definitely use an EA to help to prioritize and keep my schedule clean. Um, and then I just work with our exec team to just constantly prioritize what's important. We run our company on a system called OKRs, Objectives and Key Results, which are the really big true north objectives that we have for each year. So one is a revenue goal that's a really aggressive revenue goal. Another is around community building, creating a community that really um, advocates for us and is really obsessed with and in love with the brand. Um, another is around operational excellence, like building a great machine to run this company. And um, another is about becoming a call brand. So um, creating a company where people walk into a store and ask for Unfem by name and you know, not just like discovering us, but really asking for us proactively. And so whenever we're feeling like we have too many projects we're working on or we're unclear how to prioritize, we just go back to the OKRs. And it's always like very clear what to cut and what to keep working on. Mm, that's a great advice for the people listening of 
creating those? How did you go about creating the OKRs? Or was OKRs, it like a team? I think were I think they were created at Google and they're a system that I've used when working for other people. Um, it's really easy to find them online structures for OKRs. And um, each company uses them a little bit differently, but they're they're basically like what your what your goals are for the year. And then you revisit them each year. And there are like sub goals and then individuals can have sub goals to those, but just really keeps everybody going in the same direction. Super cool. That's so, that's amazing. That's really great advice and tips to look into. I'm wondering, I'm going to skip the next one because I really want to hear about your childhood story. Uh, this is one of my favorite questions because I feel like a lot of our core traits are sort of like a gold thread throughout our whole life and lead us down certain paths. Maybe we're conscious of them or not at the time. When we reflect back, we can see certain childhood core traits or stories that like, oh, okay, this makes sense why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I'm wondering if you, maybe the first one that comes to mind, you can share with us. Sure. Yeah. The the thing that pops to mind for me is when I was in high school, I was incredibly lucky to get involved in a scientific research group uh, class. And each student was paired with a college professor and we could work on sci like original scientific research. And I worked with a math professor and we worked on all these different theorems and literally like created a, a theorem that we got published. And the goal was for you to go and compete at science fair. So I competed locally at our, well, like obviously we started the school and then the state, the city level, and then the state level, and then um, the national and international level. And with my science project, and I didn't really have great acumen for math or theoretical math, but I was really good at talking about it and explaining it and kind of selling it. Um, I ended up winning the international science fair. <laughs> for this wow, math project that I did. Yeah, in my, in my junior year. And I think for me, the key takeaway of it was I really learned that one of my skills is how to talk about and package and sell an idea. And also that I stood out as a woman and that that was something that was really positive. I don't think I won because I was a woman, but I think it was remarkable and memorable that I was a woman who was talking about theoretical math. And most of the judges were older men. And I don't think it was like a weird thing. I think it was just like, oh, wow, this young girl who's like 16 years old solved this math problem with a professor. And that's really interesting and remarkable. And I think since then, I've used that as inspiration for realizing that you can accomplish really big things and that um, your communication style is really important and that uh, you should use your differences to your benefit. And so now I think about that all day long. I still pitch to rooms full of men and it's kind of remarkable that I'm a female co-founder. Still to this day, less than 2% of Series A funding goes to female co-founded companies and the wine industry is very male-dominated still. The wine distributor business is still very male-dominated. But I, I feel confidence going into those rooms, I think, because I had those early experiences of pitching to um, much older, more experienced audiences and, and kind of standing out. Yeah, those are great tips and great points. I, I just sneezed. 
That's why I had to read it for a second. (laughs) (laughs) I completely agree with what you said in coming from math and science and from software. And I was the only woman at my previous company. And I think there were 70 employees. And I've continuously been the only woman in a lot of entrepreneur events, too. And like you said, coming into it with confidence and that resilience piece. And if you, for example, if you come into a room and they're not receptive to your pitch, I think it's important to realize or a client, potential clients, there's billions of people on the earth and there are your people and the people who want to hear your message and having combining the resilience piece in there. I think we can continuously tell ourselves or go back to those OKRs and also tell ourselves do next. It's okay. I did my best that this is not my person or wasn't the right time for them. Maybe they'll be back. Maybe they won't. I'm going to move on. I'm going to get back up and tell the next person because there's millions of opportunities out there when we continue to do that. And like you said too, it's okay to take a break. If you're feeling like I'm not at my best to have that kind of pitch conversation or potential client conversation, I need to take a step back. I need to reschedule because that making ourselves a priority in the self-care is also utmost importance. I'm not saying just to push through no matter what, but if you have the overwhelm coming up, it's great to take a break too. But that, that doesn't mean quit. I always tell myself it's okay to take a break and I'm not quitting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Two totally different things. Totally, totally yes. different things. Yeah, because yes, I, I used to feel guilty. I used to feel guilty taking a break. I used to feel a lot of shame, I guess, in that. Like, well, why can't I do this? Like, uh, this other person can do it. Why can't I just push through? I can't just push through. But then, like you said, that's not what's actually best for me. And I'm not going to find the solution as fast as I am to take a step back and come back fresh, as you stated. And I wanted to dive into the next one. If you're starting a new business today, as you've had all this experience at this point, which is incredible, what do you feel like the top five things you wish that you had known before that you've learned along the way to pass on to the newbies or the beginners, more of a beginner starting a business? Yeah. Um, there are so many lessons. I would say, number one, you don't know what you don't know. So you're going to learn a lot along the way. And there are going to be some moments where you realize, oh, wow, I really didn't know this thing. And it feels really overwhelming, but you just have to break it down into component parts and keep going. So that's one. Two is you have to um, surround yourself with people who are smarter than you are and who are confident in areas that you're not confident in, in and you have to give them a lot of trust and let them run. Three is related to that. You can't do it alone. You are, are building a company. Um, even if you're, you know, if you want to build something kind of, you know, <clears throat> small to medium to large size, you've really got to do it with other people. Even if you are as they call it, a solopreneur, you're still going to need people outside of your company who you can partner with, who you can work with, you can build things with. And so um, 
just give yourself the latitude to build a great network and to build really good relationships with the people with you. Um, I would say the fourth thing is remember when you're structuring your business and thinking about your business plan and your revenue model that you are not building a charity or a hobby. Like this is a business. So you have to figure out how is your company going to make money and how are you going to pay yourself and pay yourself well? Um, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, especially women, um, deprioritize themselves in their business. And actually you're the most important part of the company. You're the engine. You're the one who keeps everybody else going. And so you've got to pay yourself. Um, and I think that you've got to do that both financially and you have to make enough time for your own life um, outside of your work so that you can come to work fresh and energized and focused. And then I would say the fifth thing is it's a marathon, not a sprint. Like every single day, you're going to learn new things. You're going to face challenges. Um, you're going to come against highs and lows. You're going to see people on social media who look like they're overnight successes or who it looks like everything's rosy and nothing's hard in their world. And the reality is, is that all of the best entrepreneurs face a huge amount of challenge and trial and tribulation, and they just keep pushing you know, as you said, take a break, you can't quit. You just got to keep going. And if you really feel exhausted and you feel like this thing is not working and you hate it and you don't want to do it anymore, then it is time to wrap it up and move on and do something else. Um, and that's okay. And sometimes that happens, but what's, you know, what, what VCs and private equity firms and private investors see again and again and again is that the most successful entrepreneurs very consistently are second and third and fourth time entrepreneurs. And a lot of times they've failed in previous entities because they've learned so much through those experiences. And so as a first time entrepreneur, all of the challenges feel really overwhelming and feel really surprising, but you just have to know that they're going to come. Like that's, it's like the same thing as training for, a professional athletic sport or for an endurance race or learning how to play piano or learning how to cook. Like every single time you go back to it, it gets a teeny bit easier, but it practice, 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 practice. You got to get your 10,000 hours in. And even when you have a huge amount of experience behind you as an entrepreneur, there are still days that are really tough, but you just push through. Yes. Yes. To all of the above. <laughs> lots of you, learning. <laughs> lots of learning. I, I remember even in my, the beginning of empire life, I called one of my mentors and I said, it was the first time I experienced a chargeback that was fraudulent. Like I had delivered something to a client and they didn't give me any heads up and they charged back. I think it was $3,000 at one fell swoop. And my bank account went negative uh, and I, and then they hired a lawyer and they were threatening to sue me. And it, this was all like within a few hours and I had proof. I could show proof. I filed like a counter chargeback and I ended up winning it, which is really rare. And I had digital proof and digital proof of them emailing me that they were really happy with the, the service that I had delivered. And just I, I lost so much sleep in that point and I felt like such a failure I felt like I had failed them I felt like how could I have communicated better with them where was the breakdown you know what happened how could I have known this from the beginning 
was there was there any red flags that maybe I wanted to overlook because I really wanted to support them? And there was, yes, there was all of that. And I didn't know what I didn't know. And I remember telling my mentor, what do I do about this? This person is threatening to sue me. Do I need to take a lawyer? Because their lawyer had reached out to me, which was really scary. And the first time that had ever happened. And then I have this negative account, this negative money. I was relying on that money at the time. And he said, welcome to entrepreneurship. You're a real entrepreneur now. And when you get your first charge back, I'm like, what? what? I don't want any of this. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so, and then I learned that sometimes people do that. Well, with products that I was offering a service and I could prove that she got the service. But sometimes people receive products and they use them and then they still file the chargeback, which is fraudulent, obviously. But I learned later talking to more entrepreneurs that it, it was a common thing and that there isn't enough protection for the business owners, sadly, uh, in the credit card industry where they can use something and then say, I never received this. Or I, so I'm sure you've run into that. But I, I found support eventually, you know, and, and understood that it's not just me alone in this island that this happened. It still was extremely stressful and I lost a lot of sleep having that first one but then if I got like a few years later I got another one that was also fraudulent but I could know what to handle I could like oh okay I know what my options are in this um was able to sleep feel really calm and grounded throughout the whole process this is a perfect example of I I knew that I had it, all right, like could tell myself, you got this. I didn't have to spend hours researching, trying to figure out what my options were in that. Yeah, those things get a little bit easier each time. And you just realize their uh, reality of doing business. And they are unfortunate and they suck, but you're able to move through them. And they get worse if you dwell on them and blame yourself and fret over them too much. But those, those kinds of things just happen. They do. Yeah, they do. And then I realized too, when other business owners have told me that I have money accounted for, for occasional chargebacks. And I was like, oh, okay. That, that makes sense because you never know how things might turn out or someone, the second one I had was the lady wanted to take a vacation and she had oh, really? had yeah. the service delivered, and she told me, "I need, I need to take a vacation. I'm going to do a chargeback," and that blew my mind. Like, you got the service. How could how could you do this? Integrity. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> so the, another realization is that I I can only control my integrity, yeah. and I can't. You know that I had to let that go and forgive and move on like you said, and understand that I had integrity in the process. And that's really all I had. I could control or I had the ability yeah. to look at. And I want to move on to the, the last one before we hop off. And what do you feel like are maybe similar to the to the five takeaways, the three top concepts that you really want to leave that are on your heart that you want to leave the audience with? Yeah, I would say number one for all entrepreneurs is to remember if you're doing any fundraising, if you're structuring compensation for your business, if you are, 
thinking about how to value yourself in the company, you have to remember that you are the asset. You are the visionary. You are the engine. You are the person who is creating value for whether it's your investors, your team, your partners, et cetera. And so as I said before, like you're not creating a charity, you're not creating a hobby, you're creating a business and you've got to value yourself. So you're, you are the asset, never forget it. It's very easy to forget, but you can't forget it. Um, yes. Second thing, um, the path to up and to the right, the growth path is full of ups and downs. So if you see someone else's investment deck or you see someone else's post on Twitter saying, oh my gosh, we've grown 3X this year or um, any of these components that you can kind of, you tend to compare yourself to other people. Um, just remember that no, no growth path is smooth. It has lots of bumps along the road and you just keep going. You have to keep pushing and you keep going. So that's the second. And then the third is remember to have some fun. Like, <laughs> you know, I think in the beginning, when we're thinking about an entrepreneurial journey, we have this idea that's so exciting that we have so much passion around. There's a problem we want to solve or there's uh, an area of our life that we know we're really naturally good at and we love to do it. And once you get into being a business owner for a long time, you sometimes forget all of those components or it starts to really feel like a ton of work. And um, when you're feeling challenged, just go back to those things and recenter your daily work around the things that you're really passionate about, that you uniquely can bring to the world, that you're excited about, that you love. And, um, that's where all the value to your company will come back. And, um, that's where you'll feel really reinvigorated and really excited and, um, and excited to get back to work. So, yeah. Yes. I, I can't tell you how many times to add on to your, your first one of women telling me I have this little thing that I'm working on and I say, no, no, it's huge. Okay, I want you to see I have this big thing I'm working on. Like you don't have to yeah. damper it or temper it down. Let's like so true. put a lid on it. You're doing amazing. And that's so, so true. true. So, that's so true. true. Definitely agree. And about the fun part, I've been aiming to do that lately when I start to feel overwhelmed or burnt out. I started thinking about where could I do less? which is a really interesting question yep. that I used to never ask myself. I used to think, and the work's never done. I need to do more and more and more. And I'm thinking, who can I hire that's an expert that I can do a little bit less in this area and focus on? I love doing podcasts and interviewing people and the connections that I make. That brings me a lot of joy and connection. And this, so, so to answer your, to add on to your point, I definitely think it's important to think about what do I have the most fun doing that adds the most value and what can I outsource or delegate, which I understand is almost a spiritual process. I always say to my clients of delegating. Yeah. And it's thank so you so much, Jen, for being here and everybody you'll see in the show notes, how to get in touch with her, how to buy on film, how to continue to be part of the community and be part of making it a call brand of walking in and asking for it. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. So great to be here and it was a great conversation, Allison. Thank you so much. Thank you too.